right. Well, you guys ready to ready to do this? Mm-hmm. What's up, fuckers? Uh-huh. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to Under the Pendulum. I'm Chris Weber. And here, as always, is Heather Weber. Yay, hello. And coming in from California, she's quarantined, she's isolated, it's Caitlin Weber. Sup, what's up, what's up? <laughs> Yay, so glad to have you back. Oh, thank you, I appreciate it. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, so this episode we're trying some remote recording. Um, we're all separate, so it's going to sound a little different than normal, but, you know, we'll, we'll all try to get through this. Damn Rona. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's been crazy. Yeah, it's been nuts, man, yeah. I'm going insane. <laughs> yeah a little bit i got i got super angsty last night just like uh i don't know what's wrong but i just uh i just want to like run out into the into the forest and just get out yeah i think a lot of people have that feeling right now i've been i've been loving seeing muppets treasure island uh cabin fever gifts a bunch of oh. like that that little <laughs> that little clippy of all the all the sailors dancing liberace style to uh to cabin fever <laughs> yeah, we just watched that all long ago. <laughs> Did you? Good. Nice. I yeah. Do that. Yep. So, we have Ghost Galore in today's episode. We are putting America's Ooh. oldest city under the pendulum. And I am, of course, talking about St. Augustine, Florida. Yeah. Have Well, I know we were talking about ghost stories, but have you guys mm-hmm. ever had a weird experience there? I did one time. I don't know if it's like super uh, paranormal more than just like a bunch of teenagers forgetting that they spilled some drinks. But um, <laughs> I was camping with, you know, my best friends in high school, Sarah and Asia. We were at a campground like right outside oh, yeah. of St. Augustine. Uh-huh. And like, you know, we were like drinking and smoking and all that. And um, the the first weird thing was like a bunch of raccoons were stalking us. Like <laughs> I had oh, never I been. the story now. That's so funny. <laughs> I've never been scared of raccoons until that night. But they were just getting like way too close for comfort, so we like hell yes, booked dude. It. I've heard some <laughs> horror stories. Yeah, they, had, they uh-huh. had leather jackets and switchblades, and yeah, man, <laughs> <laughs> and their glowing green ass eyes. It was just crazy. Oh, yeah. But so like we kind of booked it early into the tent, and then the next morning when we woke up, the entire floor of the tent was like soaking wet, but it hadn't oh. rained or anything for like the last. A few days at least so it was it was really weird we like were all kind of freaked out on the inside or the outside the inside like our our bedding the inside of the tent sounds like somebody just... peed their pants and didn't fess up <laughs> i know exactly that's a lot of piss, sounds like though, your bachelorette dude. party yeah, all over right, again yeah. <laughs> oh yeah mm. what, about you? Fun, oh, man. <laughs> what about you kate we sure did <laughs> um well, the cool thing about I I went to college. Well, the first time I went to college, <laughs> um, I went about thirty minutes away from St. Augustine in a town called Palaka, and um, a bunch of my friends I went to school with were actors, and so they worked on ghost tours in St. Augustine. So I got to go on them for free all the time, oh, and yep, yep. Um, yeah, so I always ended up in St. Augustine on the weekends. And I, I don't remember anything spooky happening on the tour because usually we would party before my friend had to give a tour. So he would be kind of kind of tipsy giving his tour, which As is pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I remember the only creepy thing that happened was we went to 
and I, I honestly think this is the scariest place in St. Augustine is the lighthouse. I think Which we will get to. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, th- I have, I have the weirdest feelings there. Like I do feel like there's some, something going on there, but, um, I remember it was me and I think somebody like Julie came up to visit one of my old friends from high school and we were just hanging out on a picnic bench and I know that two little girls like will tell the story about the drownings, but I remember the, the, the swing set started going pretty crazy and it wasn't windy or anything and it was just, oh whoa. I'm not really oh, sure. That's fucking yeah. Spooky. And I mean, again, it's by the ocean. Maybe we were like high or something. I don't know. I can't remember, but I do remember <laughs> being sufficiently freaked out, but yeah, that that place definitely scared me. That's crazy. Yeah, Saint Augustine's spooky. Yeah. It, it really is. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I never spent enough time to actually have an experience, so I I don't I have any ghost story at all. Um, yeah, but, right. But, you know, you, you some, know of them. Yeah, we have some really sweet like goth pictures from back then when we were kids. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, there's proof oh, that yeah. absolutely you're definitely there being your spooky self. There's 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 one picture of me. I, I must have been just like a little bastard one day, and I was probably I was dude. That's the one I'm thinking of. But I'm like you're standing so... there, I'm just like like pow, like Mr. Pouty butt. Oh like, my god! Mm. Oh yeah. But you got like a you got like a half smile because you know that it's just an act and stuff like that. And oh, like, I know. It's just, yeah, it's, it's so like, funny. Jesus, yeah. So super cool, it's... man. But I I, I mean, also remember. Oh, I was going to say, I do remember when we were kids um, and we did go with dad and he would take us on the tours and stuff. Like, and you know how vivid your imagination is when you're younger? Mm-hmm. Like, all of those stories that we're about to tell, like how absolutely terrifying they were for the rest of that evening and mm-hmm. and all of that when visiting St. Augustine. So there's just there's just so many yeah. stories that will will scare you while you're there yeah yeah well, take your kids and scare them because you got to scare your kids <laughs> so they'll end up just right. like us <laughs> <laughs> so well, i guess uh you guys ready to get into it then yeah let's do it sure all right mm-hmm. so saint augustine is the country's oldest continuously inhabited city it was founded in 1565 by the spanish admiral Pedro Menendez. <laughs> and Heck yeah, it, yeah. little bastard. And it became the Spanish capital of Florida, um, you know, of their territory here. So the city has a notoriously wild, unstable, and bloody past throughout its 455-year existence. So for instance... I think those pirates, dog. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, it's really crazy how chaotic it was. Like, for instance, you know, after the Spanish had it, it became a territory of Britain in 1763. Uh-huh. And then Britain returned it to Spain again 20 years later. Um, it was after some, you know, wars and stuff like that. Um, and then Spain would... <laughs> it's like a piece of gum that got dropped on the ground. Yeah. It's like all Florida. And it's like, oh, ew, yeah. you take mm. this back. I don't want this. Yeah. Oh, it's all chewed. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, but then, then Spain would, um, you know, relinquish Florida to the U.S. in 1819. So, it, you know, it had a lot of change of um, different uh cultures and you know different peoples because you also have the native peoples there um so it's like it really really became this big melting pot especially when colonial powers kind of came in um right oh yeah yeah it was a shit show and so uh woven into all this history we have stories of pirate invasions outlaws adulterers brutal uh, imprisonment and punishment colonial wars native american and, and colonial wars or conflicts um, and then you also have the scars of slavery because it's the South, and all yeah. this makes for one very haunted city. 
it's yeah. totally rad, everybody. You gotta go. And it's yeah. beautiful too. It's, it is very it's beautiful. It's the yeah. Spanish colonial architecture. It's like all these uh, specific types of brick. I think it's like, I forget the name of it, but it's all compacted shells. It's just Coquina. It's very, very, Coquina, thank you. It's very, very, very pretty. And like even the smaller homes have t- like Spanish style, like courtyards with fountains and stuff. It's just totally dreamy. Yeah, he- heavily influenced. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, I read this really cool article um, and there's going to be so many sources for this episode. It's hard to name them all. Um, yeah. So maybe I'll just post that on Facebook. It's like a little bibliography. But um, one that I really used was um, an article written by Jason Harris. Uh, he wrote it for this magazine called Western Folklore. It's basically like academic publication. And Ooh. the article is called Shadows of the Past in the Sunshine State. St. Augustine, Ghost Lore and what? Tourism. Yeah, it's a pretty cool article. But he writes a really nice little um, blurb that says um, St. Augustine's conflicted development permeates its ghost lore. Unresolved guilt haunts the streets, paces along the walls of the Fort Castillo de San Marcos, clangs the bars of the old jail, and rustles the drapes of Flagler College, where Henry mm-hmm. Flagler's ghost still walks, while spectral wives and mistresses oh. stalk the students out of undying jealousy. Oh that's my really god! Beautiful. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. That's actually, awesome. we'll, actually, that'll be the we'll tell that story, but um. Yeah, it's it's just really it's a cool idea that you know, and it's how we, what we think about all ghost stories and lore. Um, it's the, how the history influences and informs um, these like legends that just kind of get uh, cycled through. Yeah, absolutely. So in this episode, we'll be reading some of the stories and legends that have been told on countless ghost tours, written about in countless books for sale and tourist trap shops, and more importantly, have persisted through oral storytelling for decades. Yes. Woo! So, um, yeah, do you want to take Do you remember that book that was circulating around? Oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, it's cool. No, yeah. What oh, do you, no, it's okay. Which, yeah. Which, which book? Do, do you remember that one with, like, the cheesiest goddamn font you've ever seen, but it was, like, weird Florida? Do you yes, remember that book? Yes, actually, that's one of the sources for today that I've found some. some Me too. Uh, I do who remember. Would, who would have thunk that we would have ever used it seriously? But here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have, I have yeah. a couple of those. So it's, like, cheap cheesy ghost books but they're fun you know sometimes they're a lot of fun yeah. sometimes and I, they're very poorly written but <laughs> they're so fun. Yeah. I, I recommend i hope this doesn't upset anybody who is an actual ghost tour host but you can watch um saint augustine ghost tours on youtube and they're all they're always pretty pretty funny and cheesy so yeah it's, it's awesome it's, if it's you like wanna... kind of the point you know Absolutely. And it's like usually recorded from someone's bag because they know they're not supposed to be doing it. And it's it's even <laughs> it's even better like that. So. Nice. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so. so you want to <laughs> do you want to take the first one, Nether? Yeah, um, I was actually going to talk about the Castillo de San Marcos, oh, uh, awesome. which you mentioned just a little while ago. Yeah, it's, um, it's probably one of the most famous sites um, to visit there. I would say so, yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely the most prominent uh, structure in St. Augustine, I would say. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh, is that that giant fort? That big-ass yep. fort? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, hell yeah. Um, so, again, I, I think it's the centerpiece of St. Augustine. Um, it sits along the yeah. Matanzas Bay. I think I hope I'm saying that right. <laughs> yep, you're saying um, it right. Great. Um, so we're. I just wanted to give a quick rundown of what this structure is and what its purpose is, or was. But um, I would actually really encourage you to go visit its national park website and look at some of its the pictures of it and the historic articles there. Um, there's so much history behind it, and it's really pretty fascinating. 
so yeah, you should definitely go look at the photos there, and we'll probably post a few as well. So and, you uh, know, the Castillo, heads up, there's usually yeah. not many. Uh, oh, I was gonna say heads up. Uh, there's <laughs> usually not many like guards there at night, so you can totally climb the walls. Don't do that, but we totally did. <laughs> yeah, I I wouldn't want to after hearing all the stuff about it. It's pretty freaky. Ooh. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, the Castillo de San Marcos is the only existing example of a 17th century military construction in the United States, and it's the oldest masonry structure of its kind. Ooh. It was originally a wooden fort, Ooh. and it was rebuilt after a 1668 fire that burned a great deal of St. Augustine, and its current state of coquina and bastion star construction began in 1672, lasting all the way through 1695. Wow. wow. So um, as Kate mentioned earlier, for those of you who may, may not be familiar, coquina is a soft type of limestone formed by broken shells. And, you know, surprisingly, this material made for a very effective fort because coquina is soft and porous. It was fire resistant and artillery attacks were many times deflected or absorbed by its walls oh, instead that, of shattering. That makes a lot of wow. sense. Yeah, it just almost kind of like just kind of crumbles in on like wherever the the hit point is maybe, you know, instead of like... Right, yeah. yeah. That's, That's I didn't know that. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Wow. Yeah, so like if it was built out of like a harder construction material such as like granite or brick, it would shatter. Yeah, no, so yeah. That was cool. Yeah, it's definitely one of the most unique aspects of it. So like even when you go visit the Castillo today, you can still see like 300-year-old cannonballs still lodged along its outer walls. I don't know if you guys remember that. <laughs> I do. I do remember kind that. of, but yeah. not really. I can't wait to go back. I always remember that. It's just so cool. Definitely a sight to see. So, um, the Castillo was attacked many times and besieged twice. It has changed possession six times between Spain, Britain, and the United States. It served as a military prison during the Revolutionary War and was also a prison for Native American captives in the aftermath of the Indian Wars. Mm-hmm. So naturally, because of its long-standing history, there have been many sightings and ghostly occurrences reported within its walls. People have yeah, most often. Yeah, my friends would. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was gonna say my friends. My friends would climb it when I was hanging out with them, and I think that I remember how many ghost stories we heard when we were kids that I was too chicken to do it. But I remember getting yeah. like to the top and just seeing like it's it being dark and like desolate in there, and I was like, nope. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely like it's shaped like a star when you when you look at it from above. Mm. Uh-huh. Not like uh-huh. not like a five point star, but kind of like a, a like a four point. I don't really know how to explain it. That's the Bastion Star uh, construction that I was talking about earlier. Oh, But, okay, yeah, yeah, go look at the aerial view of it. It's really a beautiful, almost looks like a symbol from above. Oh, wow. But, yeah, um, people have most often reported seeing the ghosts of soldiers on the grounds of the fort. That's, like, the most common ghost sighting. So uh, one of the most commonly seen soldiers is one— um, pacing back and forth along one of the top walls. I guess he's been seen a lot, not only from inside the fort, but from outside the fort as well. Oh, he's been um, making me walk back and forth, back and forth. I'll, I'll make show them all. Them all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, another uh, interesting thing is it is also said if you put your ear against any wall of the fort, you can hear battle sounds and screams. 
Whoa, that's a that's one no. I haven't heard. That's crazy. I do remember hearing that actually. Oh, that's, that's crazy. That's spooky as fuck. Yeah. Right. That's, yeah. That's an interesting, like, you know, as we go through, we'll, we'll kind of notice all these like ghost tropes, you know, ghost story tropes or motifs. For sure. You know, that's a motif I haven't really heard or, or like something where you, where you, you know, put your ear to the wall and hear like battles, you know. Right. It's kind of like yeah. putting your ear to a, a seashell and hearing the ocean. Yeah. That's yeah. beautiful. <laughs> that's creepily beautiful. That's so beautiful, yeah. you hellish um. being. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, like, obviously with, like, uh, like other tropes, you know, tourists have captured orbs and ghostly images on their pictures. They reported hearing phantom voices um, on their vacation footage. Whoa, uh, it's, cool. Yeah, definitely. So. Oh, my God. You're, okay. You're... Side note real quick about a battlefield, like, ghost story I heard. Um, so one of my friends was, I think, in, like, North Carolina or somewhere where there was a predominant like a hospital or battlefield or anyway. So the place she lived in was an old hospital from the civil war and she constantly had things happening. Like things like getting knocked over, like her hearing weird whispers and stuff. And so finally she's like, all right, I'm moving out of here. And upon leaving, she heard somebody go, don't go. Uh. (laughs) Can you imagine? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> you know I can't quit you. Uh, seriously, it was just like that. He's like, I love you. I like seeing your underwear. I have some of your underwear. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Uh, that yeah, it that my sounds pants. awful. I would straight up drop a yeah. log. Yes. Did yes. you have any more stuff yeah. about the about the fort Castillo? Yeah. So uh, the the most famous ghost of the Castillo de San Marcos is uh, Dolores Marti. And this is about her and her perfume. So according to legend, Dolores became the young wife of the stern and respected Colonel Garcia Marti through their arranged marriage. This was during the second Spanish occupation of St. Augustine in 1784. Colonel Marti found an assistant in Captain Manuel Abela to aid he and Dolores in starting their new life in St. Augustine. Abela was a handsome and charming man whom Dolores mm. took an immediate liking to. Ooh, you can see where this is going. Shit happens. Uh-huh. <laughs> so much so that when Captain Marty attended to the overwhelming task of tending to the Castillo and its occupants, she confided in Abela her disdain for the colonel's preoccupation with his duties and her dissatisfaction with their arranged marriage. She just wants his duties, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, she does. Yeah. She fell for the captain as he gave her his attentions and affections, and their trysts went on for some time. One day, Captain Abela attended to his daily duty of reporting to the colonel. When the two men shook hands, the colonel's face fell, and he knew at once that he had been betrayed. You've been sleeping with my wife! (laughs) Oh my goodness, he's so stinky! (laughs) You killed my father. (laughs) So the reason that he knew is because the familiar fragrance of Dolores's perfume wafted through the air to him, and he immediately uh, began to plot his revenge. I, know that I just saw like scent. cartoon version of that with like a giant nostril <laughs> with that perfume going up in it, <laughs> and that like breaking mirror sound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. God bless you, Ren and Stimpy. Right. <laughs> So, 
soon after this happened, it seemed that Dolores and Captain Abela had just disappeared one night. Mm-hmm. When the colonel was questioned about <laughs> when the colonel was questioned about Dolores, he explained that she had just fallen ill and had returned to Spain to rejoin her family. Strangely Classic. though, no one could recall her looking sick. Yeah, he was then yeah. questioned She's about Captain her sister all right. <laughs> yeah, right? Like his wife just moves back to Spain because she's sick. Great story. Wait a second. She doesn't have a sister. (laughs) (laughs) But then when he was questioned about Captain Avela, he simply explained that he had been called to Cuba for a special command. However, Avela had been known to value his soldiers, and and many were very confused as to why the Honorable Avela hadn't told them of the assignment personally. Despite these initial curiosities and Marty's faulty explanations, he was never again disputed regarding their suspicious departures. He must have been a real dick, huh? Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> the the people are probably like, he totally did it, but it's a whole ball of wask, uh, yeah, ball he's... Of wask to deal with. <laughs> yeah. Just denied, The denied, old Carol denied. Baskin. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that bitch Marty. That bitch Marty. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, legend has it that 50 years after their, their disappearances when the Castillo had come under American rule, an inquisitive Lieutenant Tuttle began to investigate and excavate some of the hidden chambers of the Castillo. Jeez, that sounds God, he like just a, sounds annoying. A nosy, <laughs> like, that's the nosiest name. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, yes, I tuttle about little secrets, catching little flies. Wait a second, guys. Wait up, guys. I can only tuttle so fast. So one day, uh, Tuttle heard a hollow sound coming from behind one of the walls in the dungeon room. Upon removing the first brick of that wall, the damp scent of perfume carried through the hole and into the air of the dungeon, startling Tuttle. As he removed additional bricks, one by one, the light of his lantern revealed the skeletal remains of two people chained to the wall inside. Oh, what? Oh, Oh, shit. How do I not remember this story? That's so good. I bet he dropped a turtle in his pants when he fucking saw that shit. <laughs> I dropped a turtle. He tuddled all over I himself. T- I tuddled, tuddled turtle. all over himself. Oh, no. That's crazy. Do you and do you think that's true? I don't. It's you know with all these ghost stories, it's hard to say because it it just becomes legend and lore and. You know, I think that's one of the reasons why we wanted to start this podcast is just to kind of explore these urban legends yeah. and, you know, just kind of get to the heart yeah. of them. Yeah. I, uh, like, you know, that's badass, but wait a second. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah I, I ran across that story in this, like, kind of crappy book about ghosts of St. Augustine. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like maybe the people might be real, but then it's like the circumstances right. that we, you know, the legends around them, it's, you know. Oh, exaggerations. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I feel like I would have I mean, come across, you know, you know, like a clipping, a news clipping or something of like, you know, man finds two skeletons bound together. And, you know, you right. Think, you think that would be kind of like big news, yeah. you know? I mean, and yeah, like I mean, some of these stories could have been retold, like when people were like pants crappingly drunk and stuff and they were like, well, I'm supposed to stop putting my buddies, you know? So. <laughs> Who knows? Right. I mean, it could have even been something as simple as like, you know, Dolores and Abela got sick 
and died, and people didn't know what happened to them, so it was kind of like a rumor floating around forever. Yeah, actually, that's I mean, that's what happened to Salieri, you know, from like the you know that Mozart movie. Um, right. Yeah, he was actually Amadeus. a real, real composer and stuff, and he was right. actually friends with with Mozart. Um, but yeah, like some rumors got started after a little while after Mozart's death that Salieri had like somehow killed him in a jealous you know rage or something, and uh, it's just kind of crazy because right. there's no evidence that like. No. Supports any of that. And it's like Salieri was probably like actually just a good friend. Um, But yeah, it's just crazy. These rumors got started probably by someone who disliked him and but maybe been the same for the captain. You know, these weird circumstances happen and it's perfect for somebody to, you know, start making up some stories about them or something. Some rumors. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, if you go visit today and you talk to some of the guides, they'll tell you that people have reported feeling a chill in the dungeon room. Or have even smelt the faint waft of perfume. That's great. Yeah, man. Well. Yeah. Maybe they were down there and they both forgot their safe words and they just like suffocated <laughs> on whatever they were using. <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah. The, the, I mean, it. That, it is a dungeon after all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, it, it's, it's, it was an apple. A- Abel. The guy, uh, Abela. Abela. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it was banana. No, <laughs> he probably like found that was like, just cover that up. Nope. Not even gonna <laughs> nope. deal with it. Yeah. Or they both got lead poisoning by that shot in the fucking head. Yeah, that's a cool one. <laughs> that's a that's a cool legend though. It's it's a pretty neat one. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I definitely remember that one from going on tours, so that's so rad. I can't believe I didn't maybe I just like brain dumped that one because it was way too scary. Oh <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So um you want me to go then? Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. So this next one, it's another pretty famous one and deals with probably one of the most famous people um, in of St. Augustine. So this is the Ponce de Leon Hotel, Flagler and oh his mistresses. Oh, my God. That guy. <laughs> so a little background. So the Ponce de Leon Hotel was built in the mid-1880s. Um, it became Flagler College around 1968, and there are many ghosts, uh, stories of ghosts that kind of haunt the grounds. Uh, most notably, that of Henry Flagler and his wives and mistresses. So Henry Flagler was an American businessman who was partners with John D. Rockefeller Sr. at one time. Uh, they started the Standard Oil Company. Uh, so Flagler visited Florida in eighteen. Oh, that little thing? Oh, yeah, that little, that little tiny monopoly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so Flagler visits Florida in 1883, and he, he sees the potential for growth. He kind of sees what Florida can become, good or bad. So right. he bought some railway lines and he started the Florida East Coast Railway and along Ooh. which he built uh, a few luxury hotels and one of them being the Ponce de Leon Hotel. Ah. So it was named after the Spanish explorer and conquistador who discovered Florida. Oh my god. We had to hear <laughs> so much about this motherfucker in school. I hope you I hope you could uh, I hope you could hear the quotation Air quotes. Marks. Yep. Yeah, yeah. totally. So, yeah, Flagler would visit the Ponce de Leon Hotel often with his first wife, Mary Harkness. Um, So Mary contracted tuberculosis and she died of consumption um, in May of 1881. And Mary was nursed by Ida Alish Shrewds. I think it's Shrewds. And Ida would become Flagler's second wife after Mary's death. So we don't know for sure, but it seems likely that Flagler began a romantic relationship with Ida before Mary's death, as Flagler was a... (laughs) 
known philanderer. No, no way. <laughs> she just, he just loves it when she bends over to clean up those bloody handkerchiefs and Ooh. shit. Oh my god. Man, I just love how she wipes my dying wife's bottom. Mm. I mean, all those blood spatters really bring out, you know, the rosiness of your cheeks, Ida. I saw a picture of her. She a very intense looking woman. Oh, uh, handsome woman. <laughs> yeah, handsome woman. So, yeah, Ida is actually the most famous ghost in all almost all the ghost stories about the old hotel. Um, Ida was known for her insane jealousy concerning Flagler and his exploits. Um, Can't Ida's... spell Ida without I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ida, and Ida's reputation so as, insi- as insane um, might be for a good reason, though. Henry met another woman named Mary Lily, and he began a romantic relationship with her. Henry then wanted to marry this new Mary. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so Flagler, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Flagler used his notoriety and influence, and this is totally true, to pass the Flagler divorce bill. Which allowed really? anyone. Yep, and a quote that's from some, that. Her- that's some English shit right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it, it really, English. Yeah, yeah. And, th- and this yeah. is the quote from Harris. Um, quote, which allowed anyone to divorce their spouse if they had an incurable mental illness of long-standing duration. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so that illness was loose, used very fucking loosely back then too, exactly. especially when it came to women. So yeah, sure. we don't really know the details, but we do know that he had Ida institutionalized, and through this bill, he divorced her, which allowed him oh. to marry Miss Lily, um, and he would be married to her until his death in 1913, when he fell down a flight of marble steps at the age of 83. <laughs> he he fell he fell down. Yeah, he fell down like some like huge marble steps, like a bunch of flights of stairs, and just like yeah, fucking died. Was Ida dead by this time? Do you know? Uh, well, actually, I'll get to that in a minute. Oh, sweet. Okay. Uh, but yeah, she. I pushed her. I pushed her down a flight of stairs. She lived pretty um, long too. She lived in her eighties as well. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so once Flagler died, his body was transported to Saint Augustine, where it was held in state um, in the hotel's rotunda. And some say that he still walks the grounds and halls of the hotel that meant so much to him. <laughs> Looking to pinch some booties, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> tushy squeeze. Is this uh, Tushy University? I'd like to enroll. <laughs> <laughs> oh so my God. Um, there's another version of this story. Um, that was sort of like kind of what we know. But mm-hmm. there's one with more details. And actually, this is going to be the only thing that I'm going to like quote, quote. Um, or read verbatim, but it's from the Legends of America website. Okay. And I quote, Ida Shrewds was described as frivolous and high-strung when Henry Flagler married her two years after his first wife's death. But as time passed, it began to appear that she suffered from mental illness. She began to dabble with a Ouija board and became involved in a spiritualist movement that was popular in St. Augustine at the time. Uh, rad. (laughs) Yeah, she sounds pretty groovy so far. Yeah, man. So as she talked with the dead, read tarot cards, and attended spiritual meetings, her behavior became more and more erratic, so much so that she was forced to spend some time in the mental hospital. Man, she would be, we'd be best friends. Aw. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> however, Sorry, girl. That's weak. <laughs> however, she was soon released, returning immediately to her Ouija board sessions again. Before long, she was sent back to see a psychiatrist, at which time she attempted to kill the doctor by stabbing him with a pair of scissors. Whoa. <laughs> so in March of 1899, she was legally declared insane. A year and a half later, Henry Flagler divorced Ida and quickly remarried a third wife, who was Mary Lily. 
Today, Ida is said to haunt the east wing of the women's dorm, walking the halls of the top floor, and at one point even taking up residence in a dorm room occupied by a girl who looked much like her. Uh, Though there was no harm, um, the girl eventually transferred to another college. Oh, that's sauce. Yeah. And a third lost soul is said to be that of a former mistress of Henry Flagler called the Woman in Black. Ooh. Man, so the all story- these chicks sound so gothy. Oh, I know, right? It's pretty sweet. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this story says that Flagler had an ongoing extramarital affair with a young woman while he was still married to Ida Shrewds. Henry was said to have kept his mistress, who was always dressed in black, in a suite of rooms in the hotel and forbade her to leave the rooms whenever Ida stayed at the hotel. Legend has it that the young woman eventually became so depressed that she hung herself there in her room. The woman now Aww. haunts the grounds and rooms of what was once the prison of her own devotion. Dang. And, yep, so that's uh, Henry Flagler and his uh, mistresses. That's goodness. That's pretty crazy. That's very yeah, scary. Yeah, sounds like a dick. Yeah, yeah, I think he's a real asshole. Um, but those aren't the only mm-hmm. ghosts, too, um, you know, within the old hotel. Um, it's said that a little boy died when he fell out from an open window. Now he runs around the old hotel. People have reported feeling uh, tugging on their clothes or, you know, Ooh. seeing a young boy in old-timey dress asking them to play. And kind Ooh, of... As I remember if, that. <laughs> as if right out of The Shining, you know, some have reported seeing a ball rolling along or down the steps by itself. Oh, spooky. Ooh, damn. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and people claim to hear footsteps and voices and they've seen objects move on their own. Um, Morrissey and Joy yeah. Division. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there's a... Yeah, Henry Flagler's a real dickhead yeah but you but you know but he really transformed like florida from what it was um you know before it got more settled and colonized um he really yeah yeah, i mean that hotel a lot that 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 school is so incredibly beautiful oh my goodness it really is i do yeah it's amazing yeah (laughs) so uh you got another one heather crazy yeah, it's, it's yeah, really nuts. Um, but a lot of that's true as far as like him actually, you know, institutionalizing shr- uh, shrewd and stuff like that's and all true. Making a fucking law. Yeah, yeah. God. <laughs> yep. That is definitely some Church of England shit right there. Oh, I know, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I all am right, the hotel. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I am fucking Flagler. <laughs> <laughs> Come here, bring that tush. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Oh my god! I had another... shrewd more like I had a prude. Am I right now? Like, uh, papers. She, <laughs> she didn't fuck. <laughs> oh, yeah. You got you got another one, Heather. Yeah. Um. So next, I was going to talk about uh the Saint Francis Inn and Lily the mischievous ghost. Ooh. Also from oh, Ghosts and Gravestones. Yeah, I looked this one up too because I remembered that one so clearly from when we were kids. Yeah, I, I somewhat remember this one too from the ghost tours. So, um, the St. Francis Inn is one of the oldest establishments in St. Augustine. It was built in 1791 by Gaspar Garcia and has changed ownership many times over the some 230 years it has stood, serving as a home, a boarding school, and ultimately an inn. The St. Francis Inn also houses one of St. Augustine's most well-known ghosts, Lily, and her story is tragic. The story begins in the mid-19th century when the inn was owned by Major William Hardy, It is said that Hardy's young nephew lived there with him, and he was a soldier. According to legend, this young man fell madly in love with Lily, a young servant girl from Barbados, 
that also resided in the major's home. She was said to be gorgeous, and she fell for the nephew as well. Lily and the young man carried out a secret love affair where they would sneak into various rooms of the inn to be together. One day, however, Major Hardy walked in on the couple and was outraged by this discovery. Outraged, guys. Oh, shit. Yeah. Well, yeah. I I feel like there's a theme theme going on here. Yeah, there's a lot of scandal. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He then dismissed Lily and ordered that his nephew never see her again. Upon hearing this, the young man committed suicide. Some say by hanging yeah. himself in the attic or Lily's room, and others say that he threw himself from that third-story window. This'll show him. They'll have to clean it up. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. <laughs> However, it is believed that Lily never left St. Francis. Now, this is especially an active hotspot for paranormal activity. The following events have been reported in Lily's room and around the inn. She's been seen in the hallways while dressed in all white. The television once turned on and off by itself. Oh, I remember that one real quick because the maid said, I guess she didn't like MTV. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it right. was MTV that was on. <laughs> she is so. a fucking Who knows? Maybe it was like, maybe it was Def Leppard or something. I turned that shit off too. <laughs> I mean, there's never anything good on anyway, you know. Maybe it was like right, vanilla ice. True. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, you know, makeup bags and purses have been just had all their content strewn everywhere. Um, Goddamn ghosts. One night a, a new bride was awakened. Go ahead. That was just like petty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. These fucking bitches. Have fucking She's gotta... like, you need to blend that fucking foundation, girl. I've got the uh, <laughs> sponge out for you. This color makes you look like an ogre. <laughs> mm-hmm. You look like a tramp. Um, uh, another one was one night a new bride was awakened by a passionate kiss however her husband was still next to her asleep Uh, she just like wakes up and looks at him he just like cuts a giant fart she's like definitely not him (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah I mean there's there's a lot more than that as well but you know you get the point it's it's just it is happening in Lily's room yeah that's crazy yeah 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 so I mean, the ghost's antics seem to be harmless and more mischievous than anything else. But there is no doubt a spirit is within the walls of St. Francis Inn, and many tourists request Lily's room in hopes of an encounter. Lucky for them, there are no signs that she is going anywhere anytime soon. I ain't leaving. I want to go there. That sounds so fun. I remember vividly looking up at this place while we were on a tour, and I think I was probably like nine years old or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I guess I don't really, I don't really recall it that much. Yeah. Hmm. I definitely remember. I know that there was something yeah. about candlelight happening and some kind of like signal, but I don't know. Maybe that was another story made up by ghost yeah. story people for there's tips. Some... Who knows? Yeah. There, I mean, there's just so many spots in Saint Augustine. I've been on different tours, and like each tour, I go to at least one or two new places I hadn't been on before. True. So it's just mm-hmm. it is teeming with these ghosts, man. Oh yeah. Uh, is there oh any my more God. Of one of my one, favorite is... ghost stories is a huh? Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Kate. Oh, I it, it's kind of a side note, but one of my favorite ghost stories is uh similar to this about a, a maid that was haunting an old hotel. I'm not sure where, but um the person like sees this apparition in like a restroom or something, and she says, "Are you a ghost?" And the ghost replies, "Well, what does it look like?" And then disappears. Uh, Snarky. Like, I know. I was like, "Whoa, what the fuck?" Did you say this like woman just manhandles a ghost, or the ghost grabs her? 
No, no, th- there was no grabbing. It was just answering your question. Oh, okay. I, I th- th- no sorry, if I must have misheard you. Funny. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, was Damn. that? Is there any more to that one, Heather? Or? Uh, no, that's that. That's all there is to Lily. Oh, okay. That's crazy. What? When did you say it was built again? Um, the hotel was built in, I believe it was 1791. Oh, geez. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, I really want to see how much it costs to stay there, because I totally would do that. Yeah. And flare MTV all day. (laughs) (laughs) You're just poking the bear. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm like, oh, yeah, let's try some VH1, see if this helps. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I get up a notch. (laughs) She's just like an old lady, like these sluts with their makeup. Oh, it's too loud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess the next one uh, we'll do the St. Augustine Lighthouse. Perfect. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good one, too. So, the St. Augustine Lighthouse was built in 1874, but that isn't the first chapter in the history of the site. A wooden Spanish watchtower was built on the same location in 1589, and this was three years after the raid of Sir Francis Drake. An English captain and naval officer. Uh, and this this was during a time when England was, you know, well, essentially trying to raid and take Spanish settlements, uh, especially in the New World. Mm-hmm. Um, so the watchtower had been built at the edge of Anastasia Island to spot any incoming English ships and to pre- uh, prevent them from taking Anastasia Island and getting a foothold on their perimeter. Because um, Anastasia Island is basically like this large island that's just right off the coast is right east of St. Augustine and it kind of acts like this barrier. Um, mm-hmm. But if it's taken, it could be very devastating to the city because it just, it kind of runs the length of a good part of that coast there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah. So they built and rebuilt the watchtower over hundreds of years and it has a very complicated long history, which we're just not going to get into. Um, but after the U S integrated Florida um, as a state, then they built the lighthouse in 1847. Okay. Wow. That's a long so, time. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, that site's been super active. I mean, you know, it was, um, it was used um, as like a base in Watchtower, you know, in the 16th century and even up until it was a Civil War base at one point. Um, but it was also, you had the everyday difficult lives of the lighthouse keepers, and that's where we really get most of the ghost stories from them. Yeah. So, first one. Um, and some and some of this is uh, true, like things that happened or re- uh, reported happening. Um, I found the newspaper clippings and stuff like that. Oh, wow. That's cool. super rad. Yeah. yeah. And you can see it, the graves, um, too. It's, so, it's, uh, is it on the grounds, the graves? Uh, no, the graves are in St. Augustine. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. First one is Joseph Andrew. Um, he became the second lighthouse keeper after its construction in the late 1800s. Uh, he lived there with his, life, with his wife, Maria, and they both tended to the lighthouse in the grounds. Uh, one day, Joseph was whitewashing the lighthouse tower, and he slipped and fell to his death. The papers wrote very graphic oh, God, descriptions of story. Yeah. Yeah. And the papers wrote very graphic descriptions of Joseph's death, which it's fucking dick. But, I, you know, it was like a sensationalist news at the time. Right. You know? um, like all splatty, like kind of details or like his brain was like over um, here. Or, like what kind of detail? Yeah. I think it's kind of like just very detailed, you know, like his limbs were mangled and his head was crushed. <laughs> there was in, a compound fracture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh, I mean, but despite that maria she stayed on um for a while as a head keeper after he died but many yeah. reported seeing a man looking out from the tower only to see him disappear or to catch a glimpse oh of God. a transparent human-like form falling from the tower only to disappear halfway down Ooh, weird oh yeah. god that sucks 
<laughs> it's just like, ah, I gotta relive this. I know. Ah. That's like, in my opinion, <laughs> that's like the worst ghost kind of thing to see is some kind of like, like recreation of the death, you know? Like, oh, yeah. Even yeah. seeing that in any capacity, even in your dreams, is terrifying someone's death, you know? Oh, geez, yeah. Reminds me of the lady in white. You guys remember I that just... movie? Yes, I just showed James a clip from that. You know, the part in the closet when she's like, you know, yeah. singing that little song and then gets strangled. Oh my God, that movie uh-huh. is so goddamn scary. Yes. It's fucked up. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah, I've never seen it. I'll have to check it out. Oh, Chris, oh, yeah, you'll totally dude. remember it's... it if you see a clip. I bet you'll remember it. Oh, uh, okay. It's one of those okay. things that uh, uh, Heather made us watch. you little shit. Go watch it. She, she's like, this is going to be scary. <laughs> Love you. I'm sorry. That uh, movie's fucked up. I just watched it recently. And I was like, oh, God. I haven't watched. Yeah, I only watched the clip of the little girl. And then, like, the other part that scared me is when the little boy wakes up and he's in the house of that woman and, and she's explaining the whole whole mess to him. But, yeah, mm. that was just that was very scary. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, hell yeah. Yep. <laughs> Lady in white. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, another tragic incident goes back to the construction of the lighthouse. Um, Hezekiah? Hezekiah. Hezekiah. Wow. I was way off. So Hezekiah. I might oh, be too, but name. I think it's Hezekiah. No, it looks more right than mine. <laughs> it sounds right, more right <laughs> than mine. So yeah. Hezekiah Pitty was the superintendent of the construction of the new lighthouse. Uh, he had moved his family from Maine to the site in St. Augustine just to hasten the construction as it was kind of behind schedule. Uh, along with his wife, he also brought his five children. So during the construction... Oh, yeah, so oh, yeah. Sad. I hate this one. Oh, I know. So during construction, there was a cart that ran from the beach to the construction site, um, you know, where they could just like bring in materials and then just the cart would bring it up to the site. Um, mm-hmm. And the children would sometimes play on it, on the cart, if it wasn't Which sounds dank as fucking fun, yeah, which I don't yeah. recommend <laughs> doing, but it sounded re- like it goes really fast. <laughs> <laughs> so one day, two of the daughters, Eliza and Mary, and another young girl were playing in the cart. It broke loose somehow, and the cart plummeted into the bay before the girls could jump out. All three drowned in the water below. And, oh, damn. Yep. Yeah, sad. I know. It's so, so, so and sad. And since, there have been reports of hearing the laughter of little girls when no one is around. And some see a young girl in a blue dress walking in the grounds. Many believe this oh to be God. Eliza, as the apparition wears the same blue dress that Eliza died in. Oh, Dude, man. I would just, I would go there at nighttime sometimes by myself or with a friend and just freak myself out so bad there with the, the, the thinking about those little girls running around and stuff like that. <laughs> la, la, so scary. La, la, la. Yeah. Totally. And that there was a swing set and there was like a little playground over there and it was just like, you'd always be like staring at it and your eyes would be like crazy open and it'd be, um all these shadows from uh, like all the oak trees and Spanish moss everywhere. So things are constantly cool. like moving and it was just, it was so scary down there at nighttime. Oh my uh, that's God. Crazy. <laughs> and I didn't have oh, the man. balls to go on the dock at nighttime too, because I just, it was, it was just too scary to think of them, you know, pl- like plummeting to their death and stuff and being uh, there at night. Yeah. So I was, I was working on the episode the other day and I had the window open here, here at my house and, uh, there's like little girls outside. They're always like these kids playing in this little courtyard. And like one of the little girls was just like, la, 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 like singing it. <laughs> but it was just by herself. Damn it. And it sounded it's really perfect. creepy. Yeah, I was kind of like, I wanted to whip my phone out and record it. <laughs> Damn it. It was, just, it was perfect. It was just like she was doing it really slow. 
and just kind of like it was creepy. We need to hire those little girls. We got to get pay them in Rice Krispie treats or whatever the fuck they eat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. That's awesome. So, yeah, yeah. That's all I, I have for I, the lighthouse. To our listeners, I highly, I highly recommend going out to that lighthouse because you can go out at night. It's really relaxing. You don't really get bothered by anybody, and it's just except it's Eliza. Except, Except Eliza. Eliza and the, ugh, I hope you don't see that lighthouse keeper, but I hope you do, plummeting to his death. Yeah. Uh, ugh, scary. Uh, Getting anxiety <laughs> thinking about it. It was so goddamn scary over there. <laughs> Jeez. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. So, yeah, um, yeah, another one, Heather. Oh, yeah. Um, so, I'm going to get weird now. Oh, nice. I found, I saw this one. <laughs> I've never heard of it before, and... I was like, fully what the fuck. So oh, I'm excited. <laughs> I think I just saw that in the outline. I'm so excited. <laughs> so this one is called Tomoka State Park's Man-Eating Pink Cloud. Uh-uh. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I got this from MysteriousUniverse.org. <laughs> I'm so. on the lookout for a man. I'm man-eating mode. <laughs> uh. Watch Hell out, yeah. man. Watch out, man. They call me a poof. <laughs> I'm a man eater. <laughs> oh, have you guys ever seen Adventure Time? Oh yeah, was that? Uh, have you ever seen the show Adventure Time? No. It just sounds like Lumpy Space Princess. Stop, Lumpy Cat! I got that. I know. I'm, I, I'm gonna hot. have my nerd card revoked for uh, that. But nah, that's fine. No, you'll you'll see it one day. You'll be forced to see it. Oh, someday. I'm sure. I'll binge yeah. the whole thing. I'm sure. Mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty mm-hmm. good. So again, like this is definitely one of the most bizarre stories i found in the research and maybe like i've ever heard <laughs> but Ooh. it's like straight out of a fucking lovecraft story that's you know sweet. um do y'all remember the raft by stephen king yes i do I don't. it was in skeleton crew and then in it creep was, show too yeah it was a creep show yeah it was like the kids on the are swimming oh my god kind of black I tried mass to get in the water Yes, I remember that. That's yeah, that's a good one. I tried one. to get that's through Creepshow too recently. That's a stinker for me. I mean, yeah. maybe it's, it's it's like oh yeah, um, nostalgic like for you. But I do man, like that's that a one. Mm-hmm. I like I like that uh, uh short. Yeah, yeah, that one's good. Mm. Um, and it's really, it's like one of my favorite King stories of all time. Um, and yeah. this reminds me a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's so cool because like I also the '80s version of the Blob. Did you guys see that? Uh, I've yes. seen it at, yeah, at some point in the past. That's, you know, surprisingly, that's a pretty good-ass horror movie. Like, I, I like oh, anything that's Blob-esque now from from that, yeah. yeah. And thanks, Ghostbusters, yeah, for good. all that plasma. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely similar as well. So, um, going all the way back to 1955 through the mid to late 1960s, Tomoka State Park officials received numerous reports from campers, fishers, hikers, etc. of a strange phenomenon. According to the reports, a strange pink cloud that hung low to the ground appeared seemingly from thin air in the woods along the Tomoka River. It was said to be able to move of its own free will, despite weather or wind conditions. Was it a specter? An illusion? An evil being from another dimension? Probably. (laughs) Yeah. According to the stories, at the onset of the sightings, animal and human skeletal remains surfaced along the river and had been stripped bare of all flesh. Whoa. Some Rad. of the remains found Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Some of the remains found in Tomoka were described as half digested or melted, as the flesh that was Whoa. left was seriously damaged and corroded. Jesus. Right? <laughs> Just find like some soupy claim to have, people. <laughs> yeah. Like 
Yeah, that sounds disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some claim to have even seen the cloud at work, witnessing birds or insects that came in contact with it drop dead instantly. Wow. It could apparently kill brush and grass and even strip trees of their bark in its wake. That's... It was also claimed that this cloud had been the cause of dozens of mysterious disappearances. Is it possible that this weird pink haze had corrosive flesh-eating capabilities? Whoa. So what, yeah, what never living fuck was this thing? Dude, you know what, you, you, you know, you brought up Stephen King, that story, but you know what it also yeah. reminds me of? The Thinny in, um, in The Dark oh, Towers. Yeah. It sounds a lot yes. like The Thinny because it would do that. It would like gobble people, you know, like draw things in what here and it? it would like, it's, so in The, the Dark, Dark Tower? T- yeah, in The Dark Tower series, there's oh. this thing called The Thinny where it's almost like we're, uh, it's almost like where reality is like thin, but kind of like this living being in a way. And it's like they describe it like this really kind of thick, weird cloud. Um, but if you get too close of it to it, it it's like grabs you and it just starts like it basically digesting you, um, like breaking yeah. you down. And it's really fucking. Yeah, there's a really cool part in one of the books where they bunch of people get killed because it like kinda, yeah. because it like hypnotizes you to come closer. Like and then you kind of like start Whoa. walking like lumbering towards it. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. That's, That's cool. gnarly. That's I wonder I, if there's been any other accounts of that around the world of something like that. Because I mean, now I these people know. have mentioned it in stories. I mean, I wonder if it's something that's happened before. I, I feel like I've heard that, not that particular story, but I think I feel like I've heard something like that, like some kind of, you know, almost like a cryptid kind of thing. Like it's like this weird, yeah, almost like a creature. I guess I don't really, I don't know what you would, you know. Yeah, I guess that's kind of the debate, right? Is it like a sentient being or is it just something that kind of like is made of like these weird toxic fumes? Right. Yeah. Swamp gas. <laughs> Damn, that's great. That's a cool, that is a really cool one though. That's, um, yeah, it's that like is, spooky, yeah, man. Yeah, it's very scary. Well, there is, you know, a couple of theories about this. So, I mean, of course, they're not exactly sure what it was, but there is, of course, being St. Augustine, there is a paranormal theory. It is thought that it was the spirit of Chief Tomoki. The chief was cursed after he obtained a golden cup, it's not clear from where, and drank the sacred water from a nearby healing spring, a sort of mysterious fountain of youth, without permission. When word of this offense reached the ears of the surrounding tribes, Tomoki was hunted down and killed, the golden cup taken back. Ever since his murder, it is said that his spirit became a part of that mysterious pink mist and he was cursed to roam along the banks of the Tomoka River forever, avenging his death. Whoa, that's kind of so yeah. it's, it's almost Jeez. like this, like de- it's like almost like a demon, you know, in some ways. Yeah, I I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, m- I mean, more plausibly, it's theorized that it's some sort of swamp gas, like you said, or like Chris said, clouds of lethal fumes from a chemical plant. Mm-hmm. Um. But really, most likely, it's probably just naturally occurring fog, you know, that happens in Florida a mm-hmm. lot in a lot of areas. Yeah. Um, that has been tinted by the Florida sun through the trees. Yeah. Well, and I guess, you know, if it's true that they found like the kind of weird, weirdly decomposed or like eaten, you know, parts of animals and stuff. I mean, it's all. Yeah. I, I guess the Florida weather things do get kind of soupy and stuff when they decompose, you know, like it's, you know, it's the really humid, oh, yeah. wet environment. And so things decompose differently. Um, so yeah, right. I don't and know. There's you, a yeah. shit ton of alligators and stuff too that. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure they probably I mean, leave some half eaten shit around. Oh, you know? to- yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's pretty yeah, common it- too. in reports of like bodies that are found in Florida, like how quickly, you know, they, they are absorbed they by Florida. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. They get, they get, 
soupy, I guess that's a good way to yeah. describe it. Yeah. Oh, God. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but that one was weird as hell. Like, that, Yeah, that's a cool one. You know, and I, but I feel like I've heard something, like not that particular story, but something about like um, that kind of phenomenon like happening other places like i, I don't know right. i feel like i've heard that somewhere but um i, I really can't place it right now man mm. yeah yeah good yeah, one like heather nice probably, work probably places all over the Thank world you. that have like some story like that you know um, that'd be interesting yeah, to look sure. into. yeah <laughs> so Creepy. yeah was that it for that one or uh-huh oh yep. cool yeah man that one's nuts so yeah. my last one is a little long um but this is probably the coolest story, I think. And a lot of it's, like, true, which is nuts. Yeah. So, this is Osceola's life, death, beheading, and the haunting head. Yes. I remember <laughs> this one. Yeah. Yeah, so so, good. yeah, this will be a little long because there's a lot of setup context. But it's pretty, it's fucking cool. It's a cool story. So, awesome. Born in Alabama, Billy Powell, as he was known early on, came into the world in 1804. He had mixed parents. His father was thought to be an Englishman named William Paul, but some think his father might have been a Creek Indian who died shortly after Billy's birth. But either way, the man who would be known as Osceola did not have a father growing up. Uh, his mother was part white and part uh, Muscogee. I hope I'm saying that right. Always fucking it up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> so, so when Billy was around 10, he and his mother moved to Florida to live among uh, the Creeks and the Seminoles. Around this time, Billy began to identify as a pure-blooded Native American. And over time, he became a prominent leader and chief among the Seminole people, and he took the adult name Osceola. There's a different pronunciation and stuff, but that's how most people know it, um, Osceola. Yeah, that's how oh, I've really? heard it. Oh, really? What's the other pronunciation? Um, it starts with the names like Aosceola or something. Oh. like. It, it just got a little more not-so-white-sounding. <laughs> oh, yeah. Osceola. <laughs> Osceola. Seminoles. <laughs> so, around 1830, President Andrew Jackson put into action the Indian Removal Act, which would be an exchange of Indian land in the south to land mm -hmm. west of the Mississippi River. In 1832, yep, yeah, yeah, he's, dude, God, worst I'm fucking sure. dude. Yeah. So, yeah, that Indian Removal Act, that's just a terrible name as well. Like, yeah, I know it's awful. Yeah. A little I mean, more sensitive. It's what we, yeah. It's like, we're, you <laughs> yeah, know, the trail shit. of tears and all that just all comes from, from this fucking douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> so in 1832, the treaty of Payne's landing was signed by some of the seminal leaders. And this treaty said that if they found the new lands to be acceptable, uh, that were in the West, uh, they would agree to go and kind of do a peaceful relocation. Some chiefs resigned to accept this new treaty as it would surely mean swift destruction to do otherwise. Other chiefs and groups decided they would not, though. Osceola and other Seminole leaders refused to sign the Treaty of Fort Gibson in 1833, which would have cemented the removal. And another part of this Man. treaty that pissed them off was the government's insistence that the Seminoles allow plantation and slave owners to enter their communities and retrieve any escaped slaves who had come to the Seminoles for succor. What? So yeah, so it's not any surprise also that escaped slaves would be a part of Osceola's band of rebels. Um, wow. Hell yeah. Oh, yeah, it's wow. basically like they the government just wanted to like let these plantation owners and stuff just like fucking mosey in and just like take people, you know? And they're just like, uh, <laughs> no. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, well, here's a quote from Harrison. Quote, plantation owners began to demand their rights to visit Seminole camps and remove any slaves. 
when General Jessup, who we'll get to in a minute, insisted on the surrender of any blacks captured during the conflict, the Seminoles said that Jessup was not keeping his word, and all attempts towards a peaceful removal faded. Wow. So in 1835, Osceola led a band of rebels during what would be known as the Second Seminole War, which lasted from 1835 to 1842. Uh, Things got really kicked off when they killed Wiley Thompson, a government agent and congressman, um, and they also killed a few other delegates. Uh, yeah. This is known as the Dade Massacre, where Thompson, quote, was hit by 14 slugs and scalped by Osceola. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah, Woo! yeah, right. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, Thompson had been dispatched to the South to make sure that the exchange of lands was accomplished. So basically just fuck, you know, forcing people. And then he was fucking dispatched. Yeah, he got fucked. Yeah, he Mm -hmm. was, buddy. (laughs) So these (laughs) resistance fighters obviously became a pain in the sides of those who were pushing for the Indian Removal Act, and most notably the federal government. Shocker. Oh, yeah. So two years after the Dade Massacre, while negotiating a peace treaty under a flag of truce just south of St. Augustine at Fort Payton, Osceola was betrayed by a frustrated General Jessup, who had been tasked with quashing the Indian rebels. On October 25th, 1837, while negotiating under the protection of a white flag, Osceola, 71 warriors, six women, and five black slaves were captured within a circle formed by 250 soldiers. Wow. Oh, man. Yeah, so they just, like, fucked them wow. super hard. Yeah. yeah I mean, How fucking scary would that be? Yeah, right. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, and, Je- you know, Jessup ordered his troops to disregard the protection of being under a white flag of truce. Mm. And he's like, just fucking get them. Um, and this would kind of fuck fucking follow him. Um, you know, Jessup would basically spend the rest of his life defending his actions, but they like sparked a lot of like condemnation um, as it was like really dishonorable and cowardly. Um, yeah. You know, it just people were no like, kidding. people were like, dude, that's fucked, man. Like, you know, like right. you, you got no honor. But I mean, that's yeah. ca- it's kind of dumb, though, because it's like during this time, fucking you know, they're just yeah. they're killing Native Americans everywhere. It's it's yeah, just kind of totally. like what what is on. And there were like that point? there were hef- hefty rewards too for how many you killed sometimes and stuff like that. That's a crazy fucking yeah. Um, like, didn't you see the flag? It's yeah. a flag. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, this betrayal would have greater implications later on, though. Um, Osceola kind of becomes a folk hero. It becomes a symbol of honor, strength, and resistance, and like, you know. It just it, it it basically ruined General Jessup's career in a lot of ways and really mm-hmm. elevated Osceola to this like um, yeah folk hero status. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the well, way I learned about cool. him. Yeah, absolutely. The way I learned about him when I was a kid in elementary school was even as a hero. So you know. Yeah, he fought a bunch of like kind of small skirmishes and battles and was really repelling the forces for a long time, which is why he, Jessup kind of resorted to that like you know, sneaky, conniving, like, dishonorable action. Because Osceola and his rebels were like, you know, fucking shit up for them, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of funny, but the first painting I ever remember doing was of Osceola, and I got, like, a... a, 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 I got a reward for it, or award? That's what it is, award for it, yeah. (laughs) I got a reward. (laughs) I mean, there's so many things... That's a major award. A major award. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a lot of like schools and there's like a county named after him yeah. in Florida. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a big deal. Yeah, he um yeah, he just he represents a lot of like you know, things that now um you know, we can you know, we look back on some historical figures, you know, and just like, you know, he's the face of like resistance and fighting against like basically a very tyrannical government in a lot of ways yeah so anyway osceola and his men were taken to saint augustine and held in fort marion 
what was once the Castile de San Marcos when Florida was under the Spanish rule. Uh, so, so he was held in that fort, which is cool. Um, yeah. In December of 1837, uh, him and his other captives were taken to Fort Moultrie in South Carolina. You know, Osceola ha- had, of course, been gaining a lot of recognition as the face of Indian resistance. And he had a couple portraits done by two famous, um, I guess, ar- artists, George-, George Catlin and Robert J. Curtis. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, they're, they're really famous paintings of him. Um, yeah, beautiful. Which which he was like super sick when he was posing for those. Oh, um, really? Like pretty, pretty close to dying. Yeah. Um, what did he remember have? one of those? Yeah. Uh, I'll get to yeah. I'll get to it in a sec. Um, but yeah, like, those pieces would tour Europe and it just make Osceola's fame even broader. So during oh, no. yeah, well that's good. Yeah. Well, I mean, but he's touring Europe. No, no, the paintings went around Europe. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay, sorry. I thought oh, you no. said they took him, and I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, no, right, that would be the worst. That's like <laughs> Instant death. That's like the, the fucked up shit where they grab people from Africa and tour them around, too. That's so fucked up. Just throwing them in a pool of disease. Yeah. Yep. Oh, make them wear, like, outfits and shit, like degrading outfits. Yeah. yeah. So during Osceola's time at Fort Moultrie, Frederick Whedon takes center stage in the story. So Dr. Whedon was an army surgeon who had served in the first Seminole War and was now overseeing Osceola's medical care at Fort Marion. Whedon traveled to South Carolina from Florida with Osceola as he had been stricken with malaria before his capture and his health was continuing to worsen. Yeah, so he had malaria when he was like super sick with malaria when he was posing for those paintings. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, that's crazy. So Whedon's care is a strong word because it is said that Osceola did not accept the doctor's treatments as the seminal medicine men or the prophets uh, told him it would be unwise to get healing from the touch of a white man. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I can't argue with that. No. <laughs> nope. do, you, do you want but, something else within your malaria? Do you want a little bit of smallpox while we're at it? He's just like rubbing his skin <laughs> off on him. <laughs> yeah. He's like, no, 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 um, fine, fine. <laughs> yeah. I'm good. But, you know. <laughs> but Osceola and Whedon did form a relationship. Um, it, Osceola gave Whedon some, you know, small possessions and stuff of his as like kind of a token of friendship. Um, yeah. And we may never really know if Whedon was truly sympathetic to the plight of the Seminoles or any native groups for that matter, or whether he wanted just to place himself within a grander story. Or maybe, sensing Osceola's demise approaching, wanted something else, and all he had to do was wait. Ooh, the plot thickens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sensing that his end was approaching, and this is a quote um, from this uh, from this one article, uh, Osceola dressed in his shirt, leggings, moccasins, and other accoutrements, including his belt, <laughs> powdered horn, pouch, and knife. He applied red paint to half of his face, on his neck, throat, and wrists, and on the back of his, backs of his hands. After shaking hands with Whedon, he laid down on his bed, grasped his knife, and he died. Whoa. Yep. That's so sad. Yeah. So, and he was to be Aww. buried right there in South Carolina, away from the lands he fought so hard to keep. So he's, yeah, oh, his body's it. in South Carolina. They're like, good enough. Yeah, they're fucking, whatever. <laughs> yeah, they don't, they don't care. Actually, we'll get to that shit in a sec. So according to Whedon's great-granddaughter, Mary McNear Ward, before Osceola was to be buried, Whedon had one thing left to do with the now deceased Seminole leader. Some sources, oh, yep, some yeah, sources uh-huh. say that he did it alone. Others say a Dr. Benjamin Strobel, Strobel, helped him. Strobel. <laughs> but <laughs> Whedon somehow managed to surgically decapitate Osceola in secret. What the fuck? Whedon then yeah, placed geez. the body and the now severed head of Osceola in its coffin, and using a scarf, he hid any signs of the separation. 
And yeah. somehow, sometimes he just we're loves Aussie... his neckerchief. Don't ask any questions. <laughs> <laughs> it's his favorite neckerchief. <laughs> <laughs> so, and some sometime before Osceola's coffin was closed and buried, Whedon snuck back into the coffin and retrieved the head. So he hid it in his what? luggage and he He's brought like, it back I need to St. Augustine's. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, those soft, soft lips. Oh, <laughs> oh God. So, yeah, he hid it. My in, love. <laughs> he hid it in his luggage and he brought it back to St. Augustine where he embalmed it to ensure its preservation. Really? Wow. Oh my god, I forgot wow. this story. Jeez. <laughs> so, unless you think this is a rare occurrence, Gordon Sire, uh, he or Sayer, I think, writes in his book, The Indian Chief as a Tragic Hero, quote, there existed a morbid fetish for Native American corpses and artifacts, unquote. So, oh my so there god. Was, yep, so there was also, of course, the interest in phrenology around this time. So the bodies of Native yeah. Americans were being dissected and studied. The keeping oh of yep, the keeping of a body or of parts of the body, um, particularly if you were a medical professional, was not as uncommon as you'd think. Oh some yeah. Profession- yep. Some professionals would have collections of artifacts, and it is said that Whedon had already retrieved the head of another Seminole, uh, Yuchi Billy, I think it's Yuki Billy, um, mm-hmm. the same year as Osceola. So he possibly took two heads. That in one year. Well, and like the British God, Museum, damn. I think it was like, I don't know if it was how recently, but they made people, um, the British Museum, uh, bury remains of a lot of different things like that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like um, a full Native American, not Native American, African woman that um, was on display, like her entire body for a couple hundred years until they finally were, were told to send it back and have her, you know, have a proper burial. Yeah. I mean, like back, you know, back around the, you know, 1800s, early 1900s, archaeology was, like, kind of Wild West. Like, people were just, you know, obviously just taking shit. Um, You know, so now we see these really cracked down international laws. And so, like, if you're an archaeologist, you go somewhere, you know, yeah, they go through all this stuff with the, like, authorities and stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. Um, And buying and selling of human remains are pretty pretty strict laws, which I'm I'm glad for, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. And also, a doctor who did the death mask of Osceola at the behest of Whedon um, is said to have took some or have taken some artifacts off the body for his own collection. So thievery. <laughs> He's like, yeah, just go for it. I don't. I don't even give a shit. <laughs> so thievery of every sort, you know, uh, the petty and profane, was done to these bodies um, of countless Native Americans, and we may never truly know the scope of these defilements. Yeah. And we don't know much about. That's awful. Yeah. It's yeah. It's really fucking awful. And, you know, and we don't know much about what Whedon did with the head um, afterwards, for that matter. From the letters of three officers who had visited Whedon's home, uh, they wrote that Whedon had the head displayed there in his home, kind of showing it off like a trophy. So was um, it was it preserved, you said? Yeah, yeah. He, he uh, preserved it. Uh, he bombed it and stuff like that. And uh. um, yeah. And, you know, some people say that he had it displayed in his drugstore, which was like part of his home. Yeah. Um, he ran a drugstore. Yeah. And there are family stories that when his children would misbehave, Whedon oh would take God. the head of Osceola, tie it to the bedposts of the child's bed, and then lock them in the room for the night. Their only companion was the stern, dead face of Osceola staring at them as they cowered on the floor or under the I covers. I fucking, I totally remember I that remember story. that. Oh, yeah, God, that's yeah, yeah, that's that's like. I was like, what a fucking monster. <laughs> I know. I was trying to remember why I was so scared by the story, but oh yeah, totally. That that bit. Yeah, that'll that do is... it. <laughs> Creeptastic, man. So Whedon would go on to become the Justice of the Peace and the Mayor of St. Augustine in 1835. 
<laughs> He'd bring like Osceola's head and be like, "Howdy, howdy, howdy." <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> yes, this is by my valet. Say hello, Aussie. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> so after Whedon's death in 1857, uh, his family donated the head of Osceola to another specimen collector, Dr. Valentin Mott. Uh, he was a doctor in New York, and he had a pretty large specimen collection of his own. Um, the doctor later donated it and many of his other specimens to the Medical College of the City of New York. But a fire broke out at the college in 1866, and most of Mott's collection is said to have been consumed in the flames, including the head of Osceola. But we don't know for sure. Osceola's head may be floating around somewhere. And speaking of floating around, some legends say that because Osceola's head was lost, never to be reunited with his body, you can see the head floating around the Castillo de San Marcos, where he was initially kept in captivity. You can see the head looking out of doorways and windows and floating about the old fortress, glaring and scowling at all who see it. Jesus Christ. That's nice and scary. And here's a cool note, which is actually very absolutely true. Um, This is from the Orlando uh, Centennial. And quote, (laughs) a gray footnote. (laughs) (laughs) The late Otis W. Shiver, a crusty Miami politician and an admirer of Osceola, claimed that in 1966 he drove to Fort Moultrie, dug up the Seminoles' grave, and smuggled his bones back to Florida. National Parks uh, National Parks officials said Shiver never dug deep enough to get anything, so he's full of shit. But forensics investigators yeah. did dig down. And in doing so, they uncovered the coffin and discovered a headless skeleton. Whoa. Also discovered was a tiny coffin of an infant, apparently buried around the same time as Osceola. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So wait, they did find his skeleton? Yeah. Wow. Did they take yeah. it back to Florida? No, no, it's still it's still there. There's wow. like, uh, you know, there's like a like a bit of a controversy about it. You know, so people are like, he, sh- you know, he should be back on his homelands, and you know, oh my god, yeah. a Miami politician went there. Well, he claimed he did. That's kind of it, it. Just a, it was a bullshit story. Oh my god, I could just he, see there's him a picture like... of him posing with his box, like it's supposed to be something he dug up, but it was just a bunch of like animal bones or some shit. Oh Jesus, yeah. yeah. What the fuck? He's probably Funny. just like just shit tanked, and he's like, "I'm gonna, do I'm going. I'm gonna go get him. I'm gonna go. Just tell me." <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, oh, that's a but, man. That's a great story, though. It's it's yeah. just fucking weeded, man. That guy is just. Yeah. Too much, man. My God. That's really, yeah, really that... sad. So, uh, are we uh, almost? Are we on our last one? Yeah, uh, one more. Oh, Save great. Save the gross, grossest one for last. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, talking about old Splody, Splody, Splody yep. man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the Bishop of Tullamato Catholic Cemetery. Yeah, dog. Uh, got most of the source from Weird Florida by Charlie Carlson. Heck yeah. I can taste so, it. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> I can just so, taste uh, the story uh, coming. So honestly, like out of all the ghost tours I've been on in St. Augustine, I remember this story like the most of all. It's oh, stuck yeah. in my mind. I remember you telling like, us my first the story. I don't. Really, I <laughs> yeah. don't. Re- I don't remember it actually. Um, oh, maybe I'll remember when you. I wanted. I wanted to like keep it surprise. I didn't want to read it. Yeah. <laughs> All I know is my imagination I mean, went crazy. I was like, did what now? Like, so gross. Yeah. I mean, like, I first heard it when I was, like, 12 years old. Didn't you go and, on, like, like a class remember- trip? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, like, where I was and, like, everything. It, it was such a vivid memory. Yeah, it's gross. 
So, again, everybody, this story is really gnarly. It is not for the squeamish. Don't say I didn't warn you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Y'all got your uh, sloppy joes and your chili out and uh, uh, anything else I got, like I that? Got my, I got my bib on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Good. So uh, the Tolomato Cemetery originally was a Native American village that had its own burial sites before it even became the first Catholic burial ground in St. Augustine. The cemetery closed in 1884, and among the last of the burials there was Bishop Vero. He was the first Roman Catholic bishop in the Diocese of St. Augustine, and he died in June of 1876. Now, being such an important man, there were a lot of people who wanted to come and mourn him. However, many of these people had very far to travel, and you know in those days, this wasn't always easy. So because of this, the funeral had to be set back a few days, and this meant that it was imperative for the bishop's body to be preserved longer than usual. Also, it's very important to mention that Florida tends to be remarkably hot in June, so this preservation was crucial if he was going to be in decent shape for the funeral. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. So they treated the bishop's body by placing him in a hole in the ground that was lined with sawdust and then was covered in ice. However, that quickly melted, and another solution was urgently needed. Vera was then placed in a metal coffin with a glass window on the top so people could view his body. They sealed this coffin meticulously, perhaps too well. As the Florida heat mercilessly persisted, and the few days old decomposing body tightly sealed inside the coffin worked together to create a pressurized gas buildup, the metal coffin started to rattle and shake during the funeral. (laughs) Suddenly, the glass window shattered, and decomposing bishop particulates shot out of the opening, spraying the helpless mourners with rotting flesh and viscera. The smell was unbearable, and the whole funeral had to be evacuated. Oh, yeah. It's like That's a horribly so morbid version of the Stand By Me story with the, the, yeah. the pie eating the contest. Pu- Barfarama. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Barfarama. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude. That's crazy. Oh, my God. <laughs> and this is, Hot, this is apparently sweet. true. This is, like, Hot, sticky, this is apparently a true story. Oh, my God. So... <laughs> So the shattered glass window was quickly resealed and the coffin was rushed to the chapel at the back of the cemetery. But there was nowhere else to place the bishop, and so they had to quickly dig up Father Felix Varela, the priest that was already laid to rest <laughs> there. Fucking asshole. It's like weekend at Bernie's so, all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry. So they took Varela's remains and they put it in a sack. Oh, cool. <laughs> And then they placed the sack on top of the metal coffin. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And they placed the sack on top of that metal coffin and buried the bishop and the priest together, where they remained that way for 35 years. Oh, that's sweet. You know, it kind of reminds me of the, uh, kind of reminds me of that, uh, crawling crab you know where you get all the the, cra- the cra- you know the corn and the crawfish yeah. and dump it the out asian on the table. cajun places yeah that's what i'm thinking yeah. that bag looks like <laughs> but with like <laughs> fingers and crosses and shit <laughs> pour some bishop on me yeah <laughs> the name of love <laughs> <laughs> well at least yeah. at least they have company right yeah i yeah. guess i'm hungry i mean it just seemed like they were panicking and they were like fuck it put him in there yeah. <laughs> we'll figure it I out know. later. 
I I want some chili now. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in 1911, Father Varela's remains were taken back to Cuba and reburied there near a monument constructed in his honor. No. Oh. Bishop Vero's remains stayed in that chapel until 1975. When Still it was cooking. decreed by Bishop, T- <laughs> yep, um, it was decreed by Bishop Tanner of the Diocese of Saint Augustine that Vero's remains were to be exhumed to verify that it was actually Vero buried there. He just wanted to see what it looked like. <laughs> He's like, "What could this possibly look like now? What could this hot mess look like now?" So uh, they plan to identify his remains by his wooden teeth and pectoral cross. Mm. Yeah. When the coffin was opened by the workmen, almost 100 years later, the same awful smell from that 1876 funeral blasted out from the coffin and forced the area to be evacuated once I, again. I really like the use of blasted just then. Thank you. I think that was Heather, right? That's your, that you use that. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice description. Thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> so after the smell dissipated, and before Bishop Vero was removed from the chapel and reburied near a bust of him in the center of the cemetery, a photographer snapped a few pictures of his skeleton, wooden teeth and all. Oh, cool. Really? Have you, have yeah. you seen Did the picture? Did you see it? I haven't seen them, no, but um, I plan on finding them. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, send it, send it my way if you, if you find it. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, that's the explodey bishop. Wow, man, dude, that is fucking. Oh man, that is I hilariously hungry. Fun, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man. Mm. So I guess that's jokes. it for our it for our Saint Augustine stories, huh? Yeah, yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, I mean, man, and there are so many. There are so many more. Oh, I remember yeah. the ones that I just I just can recall are like the yellow fever. Do you guys remember the the cemetery that was right in the middle of town? I forget what it was called, but. Um, you know, hundreds died from yellow yeah. fever. Yeah, God, I think thousands. I do maybe? remember it. Yeah, yeah, and like they they use that you know 16th century, uh, 17th century method of Saved by the Bell, where you know you yep. would Hell's Bells. Yeah, yep. I remember that. They, and they had that going on in St. Augustine, and I, I don't know if they did. They must have used it elsewhere in the United States, but I I wasn't aware right. that they had done that. As, you know, in up to that point. And for those of you. Yeah, and for those of you who aren't familiar with what we're talking about is um, when certain types of fevers and sicknesses would hit the population, it was discovered that people would appear to be dead, but they weren't actually. Mm-hmm, so they'd mm-hmm. be, in essence, burying people alive. They would tie a, a string to the corpse's finger, and that led up to a bell above ground. So if they did wake up from you know their sickness or recovered... Uh, the bell would ring and they would know to to dig them up, basically. Well, and oh, they also God. had like a patented breathing tube that they would put into some of these coffins. Oh, yeah. Well. I saw those, right. those diagrams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the way that they would test if like the person was actually dead is they'd straight up go up and sniff it. And if they smelled decomposition coming, they would just pull the the breathing tube out. Oh. Or they yeah. pee, I didn't know that pee into the That's tube cool. and wait to hear like, ah! <laughs> See if they hear oh, screaming. God! Like, ah! This day couldn't get any worse. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, and like, you know, my friend that would give the ghost tour, he would talk about um, that same cemetery with with the bishop. How did did you say his name? Verot or something? Vero? Vero, yeah. Or Verot, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. 
so that that cemetery had other ghost stories with it. I mean, like there was one of like a little boy who passed away there that's seen up in a tree, and um, hey. yeah, hey. hey guys, yeah, what like you doing? Right here. What you doing? <laughs> what you thinking about? <laughs> Do you got any candy? <laughs> yeah, he's he's seen in the, in this uh, pretty huge tree that's right in the front of the cemetery, and then also there were um, Native Americans in. St. Augustine that were known to be like pretty tall, like taller than average. Like, like, I don't know, Hmm. almost like, well, actually that was a lot of native um, American like tribes at the time. Like um, they were healthier than, uh, you know, Europeans and stuff. So like when Europeans started coming over, um, Ah. they they would talk about different native groups that were like pretty tall. Um, Their teeth were like in good shape. You know, they were really healthy, you know? And of course all like most of these Europeans are coming off these, disease-ridden ships and you know they're just yeah so yeah that's actually um yeah because of how like um they just didn't have the same diseases and stuff and um yeah they just right. so some grew like pretty tall yeah no sugar and shit that's crazy well anyway mm-hmm. people um say that they see like insanely tall figures either standing there or running towards them from that Whoa. cemetery god that's yeah. fucking Ooh, scary that, that was one that scared ah! the Gee, that's a good yeah. one yeah yeah, that was a good yeah, one for I, sure. I mean, so many ghost stories, um, and also a really interesting city to look into, like historically. It's got such a crazy history, yeah. um, you know, as we as we kind of we've seen, and there's just so much yeah. more. I mean, like we didn't even scratch the surface of you know, Matanzas all... Bay, like yeah, the and pirates like, attacks, like yeah, yeah, things. actually, yeah, um, pirate invasions, yeah. Uh, like, like another reason they bought they built the fort, the Castillo de San Marcos. Was it was also help repel pirate invasions? Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It uh, it's beautiful to walk around. It too. is a gorgeous. Oh my god, man. you guys! Yeah. I I sometimes go on Google like Street View and just just look around St. Augustine. Like I miss it so much. Oh, yeah. that's a good idea. It was yeah, it's so pretty there. I had such a good time, such a good time there. And there was like a bar that I could drink in underage there. That was super Ooh. fun. <laughs> Do you it play like... Green Day's Good Riddance when you look on? <laughs> you know do people uh, still listen to no that song? i don't i know i'm like i don't i i'm flattered that you think i would listen to that but <laughs> i they played that at our middle school like um you know oh, like graduating yeah. middle school and it's it, oh, mine too man i know and i'm like how can i get out of this joint right now this is this is bullshit <laughs> oh and probably I mean, that song was old as fuck when you guys were in middle school already totally. yeah, yeah yeah it was yeah like puff daddy's uh <laughs> Uh, rendition of uh, every breath I take, that kind of shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Or, or Selena. You play some Selena. Oh my God. <laughs> Heather, do you still have your Selena coffee mug? Of course. Bitch, you I know love I that do. Yes. So much. I use that one every time I come over. It's my favorite coffee mug. Yeah. How do you like Hi, your Selena. coffee? How do you like your coffee, Katie? Is it the perfect? <laughs> is it the perfect temperature? Oh, Selena, you know you always warm my heart and my coffee. <laughs> Well, do you guys have anything else to to add? No, ha- uh, happy Easter. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah happy, happy Easter, Easter everybody. Say. Yeah, yeah, this will probably be out a little after, but, you know. Yeah. yeah. Happy Zombie Christ Day. I mean, nothing really else to say. Yeah. I mean, we could, yeah. <laughs> Shit's weird. Shit's, but yeah. I'm glad we were weird. able to get together and do this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And hopefully, um, you know, if and if this does sound weird, you know, um, it's kind of we're trying a new software out and uh yeah hopefully we just this will work out and we can keep making it better and better 
Yeah. Yeah, and thank Definitely. and thank you everyone for joining us for this episode of St. Augustine and the different ghost stories and legends. I guess we should do social media plugs, huh? Oh yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I I can't remember my names right now. Oh my god. But we'll put the links up. Yeah, we'll we'll put up links. <laughs> I'm in all those places. <laughs> so you can find um our podcasts at under the under pendulum podcast on Instagram, um, under the pendulum podcast on Facebook. Um, the Twitter I think is pendulum underscore pod. Thank you. And, uh, of course you can find our episodes on Spotify, Podbean, um, Apple podcast, um, pretty much any other pod catcher, um, just by looking for yep. under the pendulum podcast, which you can also find our links on our Facebook you can find me on Instagram at um, Christopher Weber 13B and Christopher Weber on Facebook. And you can find me on Instagram Frothy Stardog and uh, uh, Facebook Kate Weber. Well, thank you so much for joining us, everybody. Um, take care of yourselves. Stay inside. You know, hopefully, hopefully we'll get through this. Mm-hmm. That's right. I haven't killed we anybody will. in the house yet, so yeah. That's good. I'm That's just thankful that this isn't more like oozy uh, orifice kind of sickness, you know. So yeah, yeah. I just did. A, I was on um, M's podcast episode, um, which I put up, and uh, I actually read some primary source accounts of plagues um, in history, and they are oozy and gross. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, yeah, it's yeah. good. Yeah, so if you want to hear some gross plague facts and uh, some stories, um, go check out um, Everyday Lies with Emily Siebold, um, and you can find that episode that I'm on on our podcast. Uh, awesome. Hell yeah. Well, thank you for joining us, everybody. Um, take care. Thank you. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>